0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is part five of the video teaching series, Knowing Who We Are in God. The first four parts of this series, Who Are We? Knowing Who We Are in God, uh, I focused, or the Holy Ghost focused on primarily us as individuals. The primary focus was us individually. And us as a part of the church was a secondary focus. But today and tomorrow, parts five and six, I will be focusing at the Lord's direction on the church. Who is the church? What is the church? What is God's plan and purpose for the church? And of course, that you can't teach that about the church with also without also having some references to us individually as being members in particular. I kind of like that. That's a, a King James uh, version of Paul. I believe that's from Romans 12, I think. Uh, maybe 1 Corinthians 12 is one or the other. Uh, that we are members in particular of his body. Each one of us is a specific piece in his body. I, I, the body has all these different parts to it and uh, you say well we have two hands I don't have two hands I have one right hand and one left hand they both are called hands but they're not the same they're not the same I don't have two eyes I have I one eye. I have two eyes and they're different. They serve different purposes. I have two feet. Uh, they don't, they look similar, but they're not the same. The toes are completely aligned differently. And they're, they're not exactly mirror images, but in principle mirror images of each other. I have two lungs. Thank God. I still have two lungs and two, two kidneys and whatever, but I have one heart, one brain and one stomach Etc. Etc. So, uh, each one of these parts is a particular member of the body. And so can't really talk about the body without talking about the parts. So I'm going to do something a little different. I've got these scriptures in my notes, uh, but I'm actually, I have my Bible open where I can touch on words and get the meanings as the spirit of the Lord leads. Uh, I'm going to be teaching, uh, from, or just, actually, I'm going to do expository teaching, as some would call it. We're going to go verse by verse through the first three chapters of Ephesians. And you go, well, that's a long time. I probably, it, it could be long if I could teach it like I would love to teach it, but that's not what he's going to do. I'm going to have to skim through some of this and hit the high points. But it is, It is the big picture that the Holy Ghost wants you to get from these three chapters in the first place. It's not the particulars. And again, as I've said before, what I'm doing is sowing seed, seeds of revelation. That's what God is planting in your heart, soul, mind, spirit. He's planting seeds of revelation. And it is then up to you what you do with those seeds. If you water them in prayer by the Spirit and you cultivate them, tend them like a garden, they will grow up and they will become your revelation. Mm -hmm. and It'll be your understanding. It'll be your knowledge. It won't be something that somebody else taught you. That's the difference between intellectual teaching teaching and apostolic teaching. Intellectual teaching, even if it's about the Bible, is someone teaching you what they have learned intellectually and that they know intellectually. And they may have very little, if any, experiential knowledge concerning what they're teaching you. And it's not that it's not true, but you can't really do impartation when you have no experience with the subject. And that's not impossible, but it is not very frequently done. It's not, it's not our choice. It's God's choice. And, uh, the experiential knowledge is by far superior in being imparted to you so that you can receive that as a seed that has already produced. It's a reliable seed and it's a proven seed and so you can do that. So I'm going to get started and uh, it won't take you long to understand why I I love the whole Bible. I love the Word of God. I love studying the Word of God along with the author. I never read the Bible by myself. I never study the Bible by myself. I always read and or study the Bible after prayer so that I have entered into the presence of God and in the presence of God, that's when he'll a lot of, most of the time he will point me in a certain direction to read or study. He'll, he'll speak something to me and then have me begin to study that. And he adds things to it. And it's a, it's not intellectual at all. It is supernatural. And, uh, I love it. I love that experience with God. I'm asking him questions. He's answering them. He asks me questions, and I have to answer them. And he puts it line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, as the way he teaches us. Okay? So I'm reading Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, not by the will of man, by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not a, how hiya doing? That's not a, a salutation. That is an apostolic impartation that you will find in at the beginning of within the first few verses of every epistle, in the Bible, except maybe one. I'm not sure which that is. Uh, I also know that in the book of Hebrews, it's not stated exactly like that at the beginning. But both grace and peace being offered to us and for us receiving it is talked about frequently uh, on numerous occasions in the book of Hebrews. Uh, even the book of Revelation starts with something similar to grace and peace uh, being spoken to us as an impartation verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in christ jesus who hath blessed that's past tense it's an already accomplished fact Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, I talked about that in detail in a previous lesson in this series, and so I'm not going to go into it too much. might have been actually yesterday, but there's so much happening that I'm having a hard time keeping all of that straight, and I don't try to, frankly. Uh, But, we've already talked about that in detail, and if you weren't a part of that session, I strongly recommend you go back and listen to that because it was it was dealt in dealt with in detail and in very important detail but the Lord is starting here in Ephesians uh, the book of Ephesians is divided up into two sections chapters one two three one two, and three are all spiritual principle and revelation chapters four five, and six are all practical spiritual application both church wide and individually and uh, we will not be talking about Ephesians 4 through 6 today but it is important to note that all of everything said in Ephesians 4 through 6 is based upon the spiritual foundation of revelatory principles from uh, Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 so Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places according as he hath uh, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now why did I read all that? Because according to the punctuation, all four of those verses make up one sentence. And it's one of the shorter sentences in chapter 1. In fact, if I remember correctly, beginning near the end of chapter 1 and going into chapter 3, there are 11 verses in one sentence. And so the, the real danger with that is, if that's what the translators felt all of this was a sentence, the danger is taking phrases out of a sentence and making them into a standalone doctrine. And that's when you absolutely have to be careful that whatever point you're focusing on in a sentence, it may be in, it may be a ver, whole verse, or it may be a phrase of one verse, but if it's a part of a sentence. I can't fully understand that the, what it's saying except in the context of the sentence number one, and number two, I can only understand it in the context of what the Word of God says on that specific subject. So there's always two contexts that are absolutely essential when you're reading to un- uh, reading to understand the Word of God. You're not just reading to put in your time and fulfill your obligation, but you're reading with in, in the presence of God. With your heart, mind, soul, and spirit open to God to receive from Him. This is the it, the Bible says, try the spirits to see whether or not they be of God. There are two primary tests when you're reading the Word of God to make sure that you don't get into false doctrine because of erroneous interpretation. First of all, the first and foremost is always the context in which the statement is made. of the the verse it's in and the verses that are on both sides of it, especially if they make up one sentence. The second context, which is equally as important, even though it's the second one you look at, is the context of that phrase or sentence or, or verse or sentence in the context of all the other verses on that subject in the Bible. And those are two witnesses along with the witness of your Holy Ghost that that gives you confirmation that once you understand the context of both of those, then that your interpretation or understanding of what the verses are saying is accurate. If after those two, you you feel like you have the understanding and those two are in harmony, your spirit should be in harmony with that. If it's not, you need to go back. There's something you missed because the context of the verse where it's written, the context of the subject of the verse or phrase or sentence in the context of that subject within the entire Bible, along with the witness of the Holy ghost or the three witnesses that will, that God gives us to let us know that our understanding of what the verse is saying is from him. Now, if I'm studying it intellectually, one or two or sometimes all three of those are not going to be accurate because we have a tendency to read something and then come up with what it means to us. But the problem is, it it doesn't matter what it means to you. It doesn't matter what it means to me. It's what God meant to say in what he wrote. So your opinion or my opinion of what the Bible says is totally erroneous, unnecessary, and is ego. But if I am submitted to God and I submit myself to God and I'm humbled myself before God, then I'm seeking only one thing I'm seeking his opinion of what he meant. And when he's talking to me, and he explains what it means in the context in which it's written, he explains it to me in the context of that subject in the Bible, and then he gives me a, a witness in my spirit that, that that bears witness that I am at peace with all of that, that this is what he's saying, then I can have peace with that. Now, the the, the caveat to all of that is, He teaches me line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. So that doesn't mean that I he has exhausted my potential understanding of that verse. Even at that point, I always have to be ready for him to shed more light, to shine more light on a particular verse or subject as I am studying one of my most one of the most challenging verses in all the Bible is John chapter twenty one verse twenty five. And John says, that's the last verse of the Gospel of John, there are many other things which Jesus that, that, that Jesus did and said the which if they should be written every one, that I suppose even the world cannot contain the books that should be written. So if that's true, then this Bible that we can hold in our hands can't possibly contain everything that Jesus did and said. No, but it can contain all of the wisdom of God because every verse has an unlimited numbers of levels of understanding of that verse. And while each makes a different point at each level and the way it applies to the scripture and other places, if it's, if my understanding is true, no matter what level I go to in that verse, it never contradicts the previous levels. Even as it shines more, as he shines more and more and more light on a particular verse. Therefore, he can take that which seems to be finite to us and it actually becomes unlimited in instructing us in this life. In other words, we will never exhaust it. It's impossible to exhaust any subject in the book. Impossible. And so going back now to the verse after I've said all that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, <clears throat> that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So he picked, he chose us before? Yes. Well, how could he do that? Because he is there right now. He is there where before everything is, uh, fulfilled was even begun. Oh, and he's at the end of it all right now. So, with his foreknowledge, he knows what our heart's going to be like. He doesn't make our heart like that. He knows what our tendencies are going to be in responding to what he says, whether we respond with defiance or yieldedness. He knows that. <coughs> He didn't make us that way. That's why we're personally accountable for that. But if we were being wise and we listen to what he said and then examine how we're responding, then we would know our own hearts. Because he said, the heart is deceitful, Jeremiah 17, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the hearts. I try the reins. So if I know that's the case, Then I could pray with David at the end of Psalms 139. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And if I'm paying attention to what he lets me go through and my attitude and response to what I'm going through, then I can begin to see where my heart is. Well, guess what? My heart can change if I can be honest and humble about my heart. He can change it. But if I am stubbornly defiant that there's nothing wrong with my heart, and what I what I want and the way I want it is it should be okay with God. Well, I'm going to be in trouble. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us. Now the, the the church world's taken that word predestinated and perverted it. It doesn't mean God made choices that you and I don't have any choice in. It means he foreordained that those who would respond to his word would be saved. And those who reject his word would be lost. Having predestinated or foreordained us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And everything's about His will, as you will see, which we continue reading. And He's doing all this to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. We're not accepted in the beloved because of all the good stuff we do, because there is none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. <clears throat> and you and I, even after being saved, cannot do enough good. That God will accept us because of our good. In fact, it is grace at work in us that produces whatever good through us that occurs. And we'll see that as we continue reading. So therefore, His the glory of his grace is praised because of how he takes these uh dirt balls these uh, balls of clay and turns them into something that can glorify him next sentence starting with verse seven and this one is uh six verses long five verses long i think it is in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I want you to hear this right now. What Paul by the Holy ghost is giving us glimpses of because Every word of this is so major, it is almost unfathomable how major each one of these verse, each one of these words in this verse is. Every one of them is a major principle of God and His kingdom and His spirit and all of that. And yet what he's done in these verses, he gives us the big picture and how these things fit together. And I would love to have the opportunity to teach one by one and all these principles. But at this point, that's not what he's leading me to do. So we're still dealing with the overview, the big picture. You ever put a jigsaw puzzle together? Can you do it without the box? Can you honestly do it without the box? It's got the picture on it. You might, but it would take you many, many times longer when you have no point of reference where the verses go together. The, the, the verses, yeah, the, uh, the the pieces of that jigsaw puzzle go together. And having to try to first of all separate out according to color, assuming that in that big picture that color is only in one place. What if it's in several places? Now it potentially, eventually, could be done potentially. But it would be very difficult. And it still may be challenging. But if you've got the picture on the box that you can refer to, then you got a better idea of where that piece fits in the puzzle. And every scripture of God is a piece to his puzzle picture. And in these verses, he's trying to give us the big picture So we can then, uh, in a later study, come back and look at each one of these things in our own personal study and see the importance of each one of them in the big picture because they are all really, really important. Uh... That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So he goes back, going back to verse 7, he goes back to this point where he is... uh he is—he's—he's—he's he's, he's talking about—he talked about in the previous sentence those couple of verses that—that that he's chosen us in him, uh, according to the good pleasure of his will, and he—he he is working in us so that the glory of his grace would be praised because of our salvation, not because we earned the salvation, but by us being saved and brought into the place with him he wants us to be. This brings great glory to his ability. Great praise to his power. And so in whom, and and these verses keep referring about being in Christ, in Christ. That's the body. That's the body. We're in Christ. That's the body. We are members in particular in Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. And here again, uh, church or Christianity's theology has perverted so much of the word of God. The word mystery here in the Greek has nothing to do with that which is incomprehensible or unexplainable. And it is, it is poor scholarship And intellectual, a lack of intellectual integrity to take this word mystery here and say that the things of God cannot be understood or explained. Because the Greek word means nothing like that. The Greek word has everything to do with a secret that has been hidden and is now being revealed. The mystery isn't that it's being hidden not that it's unexplainable or not understandable, having made made known unto us the mystery or the secret of his will, according to his good purpose or good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. (laughs) Christ is the Logos made flesh. And the Logos is the part of the I am infinite God by which he created the finite. Not a different God. But you got the infinite God and the part of that infinite God that can create finite and then relate to finite. And that's Logos. And the Logos is both the plan and the word, the agency of the plan And that which produces the plan, because when it's spoken and activated, it begins to produce what the will of God is. You can't separate the will of God from the word of God, except in this way. The will of God is how God works the particulars, of fulfilling his word in each of our lives. So there's a will for us in each of our local churches. So there's a will for each of our local churches as the word of God works by the spirit of God in our lives individually in our local churches so that each of us fit into our place in the big picture. But then there is an all-encompassing will of God. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times. He might gather together in one. All things in Christ. So ultimately. All of this is going to be brought together in him. Both which are in heaven. Which are in earth. Even in him. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. And i taught about that inheritance in the last lesson or two especially. Being Predestinated or foreordained according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. And Peter preached that Christ was crucified after the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God. In other words, Nothing that happened to the man Christ Jesus was a surprise to God. I'll go farther with you. Nothing that happens to you and I is a surprise to God. Pilate was talking to Jesus in the judgment hall. He said, are you a king? Jesus didn't say anything. He said, don't you know who I am and what I can do? I have power to take your life or to spare your life. I'm paraphrasing. Jesus said, you don't have any power over me at all, except it be given you from above. You don't have any power over me at all, except it's given you from above. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the will of God for us to receive that revelation individually and collectively. There's nothing that can happen to us without God's permission. Well, what about all this bad stuff happening to us? It's only bad from the perspective of our comfort and convenience in the temporal world. It is not bad from the perspective of God bringing about the fulfillment of his word according to his will. The man Christ Jesus had to die a horrible death to provide you and I salvation. Horrible death. His back looked like a plowed field. His face, his visage, Isaiah 52, was marred more than any man. He had scars in his hands and his feet, and a scar in his side from a spear. All of that. His body was full of scars. Evidences of his death. Horrible. Unless, of course, it's the only way you and I could have been saved. And then it's not horrible at all, is it? Is it? That's the problem, isn't it? Are you looking at things or am I looking at things from the temporal perspective? Or are you looking at them from the heavenly perspective? Because let me tell you something right now. There's not one of us that's gone through anything in our lives. That can have a right attitude and spirit about those things unless we can understand that they were all a part of the love of God fulfilling His will in our lives individually. And then in our part and place in His kingdom and His will in fulfilling His word. I had a friend die. A friend I've known a long time. Since 1981. Good friend. Died in the middle of the night last night. Younger than me. Younger than me. <laughs> Both of his sons are younger than my two sons. He died. Well, naturally speaking, we wouldn't call that good. But unless we believe, unless we believe the word of God that says for me to live is Christ and dies again." gain. And I've said it before. I've said to you. I'll say it again publicly. This is being live stream. When he's done with me, I'm out of here. And I've told family and friends, don't be the one that prays me back from crossing the finish line. Don't be that one. When God is done with me and I've crossed that finish line, you let God give you, you comfort and whatever. Leave me alone. I've lived my whole life to cross that finish line. I don't want to come back here. I love my wife second only to Jesus. And if you know me, you know that's true. Those aren't words. We, in a few days, we're going to be a, been married, uh, 52 years. I, I, I don't want to leave my wife, but when he's done with me, I'm out of here. I'm not not asking to stay here. If you want to stay here, here, then don't fuss with him over the stuff you go through. Hello? And I'm saying all that to say this to you. If you haven't been able to run with the footmen, God help you when the horsemen are coming and they're coming. If you haven't been able to have a right attitude and spirit with all that has happened, you are not going to do well unless something major happens in your life to give you a completely different perspective over what's coming. Because naturally speaking, things aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse. Spiritually, they're going to get better than they've ever been. We're going to see things we've never seen. We're going to see revival and harvest that's beyond all of our, its succeeding abundantly above all of our imaginations, all that we can think. But at the same time the things that are going to get really good spiritually you'll get really bad naturally. It's prophesied, it's in the book. It's no mystery. it's in the book. I didn't choose for me to live in the last days. I think Peter would have loved to have been here. But he was in the first days. Paul was in the first days. I wasn't there with them. I didn't get the privileges they had. But they don't have the privileges I've got either. They don't have the privileges you've got. So the question is, what are you going to do about this? In whom we've obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him. Who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Verse 13. It's only two scriptures. Two verses. One sentence. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. And every day, every moment of the day, I have the potential to fellowship with my coming inheritance because I have the earnest, the down payment on that inheritance Right now. What are you doing, man? I'm fellowshiping with my inheritance. How about you? Because I've been made a partaker, and so have you if you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, of the divine nature, Peter said. And I'm fellowshipping with that. It's, I've, I have it in, in limited measure now because of this, this body of flesh. But when that, this body's changed into a glorified body, I'm going to have it without measure because I'm going to have a body just like the man Christ Jesus had, has, and he has it without measure. And I'm not going to be God sitting on the throne, but I'm going to be a part of the bride of Christ who's sitting around the throne. So are you if you want to. But you don't have a choice, you see. For you and I, it's all or nothing. You can't make a deal with God and settle for less here. So you can do less here and have less there. No way. He has chosen you and I to live here now. And it's all or, all or nothing. I'm sorry. How, how long you got tonight, I can prove that. It's all or nothing. In fact, I've talked about that several times in these previous four parts of this subject. It's all or nothing. I got married November the first, 1968. It was all or nothing. My wife is so sweet and loves me far more than I have. I don't deserve it. And she's been so faithful and loyal to me all these years and love me and put up with me. And yet the reason she's married to me is because with all of my struggles and and difficult to live with personality because of my unique tunnel vision focus that so that so easily forgets all of these other things that are important, important to her. And they're not wrong. It's not wrong. They're important to her. But sometimes she's had to put up with me not even seeing those things because of my tunnel vision focus. It was all or nothing. It was all or nothing. Richer for poor sickness and health till death do us part. All or nothing. And marriage, biblical marriage, is a type of Christ in the church. And it's all or nothing. Verse 15. Now, from verse 15 all of chapter 1 all the way down to the end of verse 3 of chapter 2 is one sentence. I'm not going to read all of it like I have the previous sentences uh, because I want to go through them each verse. I'm encouraging you to go back and read them as one sentence as we have time to do that. So, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Wherefore, based on all that he just said, wherefore, that's a conjunction that just joins everything he's about to say in this next long sentence with everything he said since the beginning of the chapter. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And that make that making mention there, if you study it in the Greek, does not mean I'm simply calling your name. It means I am faithfully praying for you on a regular basis. That's what that means. Cease not to, to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That, for this cause, this is the purpose of my prayers. This is what I'm praying for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Not the knowledge of us, but the knowledge of him and therefore who the church is in him, as you will see as I continue reading. And he's made it very clear, Paul has here. That for you to have this wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's going to come supernaturally. That God may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is not intellectual learning. This is not intellectual pursuit. This is fellowshipping his presence. Investing time with him. Talking to him. Listening to him. And then letting Him take us in the Spirit and in the Word into places where He can explain things to us. And what He's, what, what, what Paul is praying for us to receive as revelation, that we might have wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, is pivotal to everything God wants to do to His church in these last days. And between, through your local church and mine, the one I'm a part of, and your personal life and mine, we need to understand this. Paul said he ceased not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This was his habitual prayer for them. He wasn't just just mentioned it to God and stopped. It was his habitual prayer for them that they might receive this because it is so foundational and principle. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that for this cause that ye may know. And there are three things He lists that it's His, it's the will of God for you and I to know by wisdom and revelation, by the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. And these things are all in Him. Because all the fullness of wisdom and knowledge and understanding are in Christ. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that ye may know. And this Greek word know is E-I-D-O. It's not gnosko. It's Edo. And it means that you might perceive. That you might see and know by perception. That involves far more than intellectual knowledge. You can hear something intellectually and you pass a test on, on the facts of it, but that doesn't mean you have any understanding of it. So this, the, the, this seeing, this knowing talks about perceiving something to the point that it becomes working knowledge for you, that you may know what is the hope of his call, calling. Now I don't believe once saved, always saved, but I don't believe our salvation is as tenuous as some believe. Some among us believe. The hope is the confident expectations. what the Greek word for hope means. Of his calling of us. The scripture says make your calling and election sure. Well how do I do that? By surrendering myself to the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And what? That's the first what you're supposed to know. The second what is. What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints now earlier talked about us receiving an inheritance but it is the will of god but by the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him for us to know first of all the certainty of our salvation in him if we walk in him and fellowship with him and do his will and then second of all what does the lord get out of this what does he get out of this? What is the, gl- the riches of the glory of the inheritance of his inheritance in the saints? Well, that's what we're about to find out. Because the church is his body, not just here on earth. And the church is his body, kings and priests ruling and reigning with him, not just in the millennial kingdom, the thousand years of Christ's earthly reign on earth. But we're going to be his body. He's the head. We're the body forever, forever. And that's what he gets out of this. God is love before there was anything but God or when there was anything but nothing but God. Who did God love? Love is not what God does. Love is who God is. God is love. Love is not what God does. Love is who God is. Because of who he is, there are things that he does. The things he does, we call that grace. Grace is the love of God by means of the spirit of God working in our lives. That's grace. Grace is the love of God by the means of the agency of the spirit of God Working in us both the will and to do of his good pleasure. That's grace. Yeah, as we understand him be enlightened, you may, may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in saints. What's his inheritance? Well, after he created all things, he created beings as minuscule as we may appear to be in the scope of the universe, he gave us something godlike that the angels did not have that no part of the universe has except human beings. We're made in his image because we were giving the, the power, the right and the ability and responsibility to make choices because love is a choice. So he created the universe, but the universe serves him meticulously. You and I, we were given a choice. We have a choose cho- the right to choose to receive his love and or to give that love back. So I can choose to receive his love, but not give it back. Or I could choose to not receive his love, but I can also choose to receive his love and give it back to him. So I'm loved. So he gets to be loved. He gets to demonstrate who he is. And then I can give that love back to him and it glorifies him. And I give that back to him. By obeying his word. Hero is the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's how we give our love back to him by doing what his word says. So, as you will see in another verse or two here, and I'll point it out, what his real inheritance is in the saints. Yeah, as you understand and be enlightened. You may know what is the hopeless calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is, of his inheritance and in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ. The third what is, is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe. What, what? How great is that power? According to, according to, uh, in, from the perspective of, or in the, in, 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 by the means of the working of His mighty power, and what mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? Well, several people were raised in the dead just in the time of Jesus. Oh, but it didn't stop there, and set Him. And the word "set there means to seek down <clears throat> set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places now it's not I don't have the time for this here, but study just get your concordance out and look up every verse that's got the words right hand" in it, and see how rarely if at ever at all the Lord used the phrase right hand." As a literal place. The right hand of God is the exercise of God's authority and power. That's why David said, The Lord is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. If it's a literal place, then that means David is superior to God. Because God is on his right hand. It's not. So when Christ, the man Christ Jesus, the image of God, Second Corinthians 4, 4, Colossians 1.15, Hebrews 1.3, when Christ, the man Christ Jesus, the image of God, the only visible part of God, 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, the only way you and I can see God is in the face of Jesus Christ. That visible representation of God, which is now the only visible representation of the eternal, infinite God, forever sat down on the throne of the universe, and now the whole universe can see God the only way we will ever see God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when he set him at his own right hand at heavenly places, he didn't just resurrect someone for the dead. When he was resurrected, to the dead many, many, many saints were resurrected and walked in Jerusalem, went to see their families. So what was the difference between him and them? They were all resurrected, but with him, but he was set on the throne of the universe. Well, what does that mean? How exceeding greatly, what what exceeding greatness is that power? It's the same power at work in us that resurrected Christ from the dead and set him on the throne. We have been made to sit together in heavenly places. I'm about to read you that in a, a few more verses. We have been made already to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus which he wrought in Christ when he raised him to the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Sentence continues. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Notice this. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. This is an already accomplished fact. And it's been an accomplished fact since before the Holy Ghost was poured out because that's how we got the Holy Ghost was he ascended to heaven and sat down in that place of authority and power in God and became the visible representation of the invisible God and like John the Baptist prophesied he is the one that poured out the Holy Ghost upon us according to Acts chapter 2 also you can read that Christ is the one that poured out the Holy Ghost upon us because he is now the only visible representation of the invisible spirit of God forever forever and so this is an accomplished fact. Well, what does that have to do with us? Let's keep reading the sentence. And hath put all things under his feet. Okay, his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Over all principality. Now. Over all power. Now. Over all might. Now. Over all dominion. Now. Now and over every name that is named now in this world, now, not just in the hereafter. Put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now you're going to notice that this verse at the end of chapter uh, one, it, it said differently near the end of chapter 3. Because the end of chapter 3, th- uh, I guess it would be verse 19, because it, chapter it verses 20 and 21 ends chapter 3. So verse 19, he said that we're filled with all the fullness of God. Wait a minute. It th- this doesn't say that the fullness of us, he's the fullness of us that filleth all and all, not here. It says that we are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. How can that be? He's God. Yes. And now he's got somebody to love so that he can fully manifest who he is. Because before he created all this, there was only him and he didn't have anybody to love. And everything God's ever done and will do is because of love. Now, Is there wrath? Yes. Is there hell? Yes. Why? Because how can anybody reject the love of the God that created all this? I reject his love. I'm rejecting him. He is love. And I I can't go to heaven, fellowship with God, if I've rejected his love unless I repent and that's over with at the rapture for us. Oh yes. Oh, by the way, he hath past tense, put all things under his feet. Uh, where are feet? They're on the body and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. When Christ left this this earth, he ceased to be Christ all by himself. When he sat down on the throne of heaven, he wasn't just the visible representation of the invisible God forever, but he also became the head of the body. Well, if he's the head of the body, the feet, his feet aren't stuck on the side of his head. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm trying to make a point. His feet are on his body. We are his body. And he has put, past tense, all things under his feet, which is us. If we believed it, (coughs) you believe it? Do you pray like you believe that? Now, the verse continues or the sentence continues, even though the chapter changes. And you hath he quickened. Oh, I apologize. I was reading another translation. The sentence did end at the end of verse 23. I see a period. I see a period. Okay. But the thought continues because of the conjunction and. And you hath the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where any time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. And in 1611, the word conversation, uh, which is King James English, 1611 uh, English, didn't mean just talking back and forth with people. It was your entire lifestyle. That's what the Greek word means. Among whom we all also had our, our lifestyle in times past and the lust of, the fle- of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. He just described every lost soul on earth's condition. He also just described your your condition and my condition as a lost person. So nobody can take any credit for being saved. Because every one of us was under the influence, we weren't possessed, but we were under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. Eve wasn't possessed. She was deceived. She listened to arguments that made sense to her mind. And she acted on those arguments against God. And Paul is explaining to us here exactly how we all were in this condition. And that's why he can put every human being that's ever lived in this place and prove that none of us can be saved without God. You can't be saved by church. You can't be saved by religion. You can't be served, saved by church services. You can't be saved by sermons. Can't be saved by worship that's really praise. Won't get into that. Because all of those things only have value as they are no longer under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, which is only possible by prayer and trusting the blood of Jesus in that prayer and the name of Jesus in that prayer. And the word of God in that prayer. And the authority and power of God in that prayer. And the kingdom of God in that prayer. And you have the quickened who were dead tresp- and trespassed as sins. Where in the time past ye walked according to the course of this world. The lifestyle of this world. Or this age. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, but God, but God, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace of your saved. In other words, you can't take the credit for this. This is only God working in you if you allowed it. And hath raised up us together and made us sit, hath made, hath raised and made, or past tense, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. Unless, of course, you're living in the temporal and you're only serving God in the temporal. And all of your prayers are about the temporary things of this life. Why has he raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places place in Christ Jesus? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. All of this is going to glorify him. You say, well, everything's about him. Everything is about him. Everything is about him. He did all of this so he could demonstrate his love and we could love him in return. And in that relationship together, we could do his plan and will in his everlasting kingdom. His everlasting kingdom. Oh, this is temporary. God went to all this trouble for something temporary that's all going to pass away. If he did all of this for something temporary that's going to pass away, what in the world has he done for our eternity? Oh, let me tell you. (laughs) I've had a few glimpses. And uh, while I'm not done here, and he's not done with me here yet, I can't wait to see what that's going to be like. Of course, I'll have to endure a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. But even that is going to give us a greater glimpse of him. And even that is still not going to be what the eternal kingdom is like. The everlasting kingdom. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved. Through faith. And that not of of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. And it's so convenient for the denominal world to stop reading right there. Well, this works aren't important. Oh, really? Well, you don't have to look for How about the next verse? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath be- before ordained that we should walk in them. So if I'm saved and I'm not walking in the good works that God has ordained, God has ordained before, he foreordained that we should walk in them. If I'm not walking in them, am I saved? Walking in them doesn't save me. Walking in them proves I am saved. Because I don't earn anything by being his workmanship. I'm just letting him do the work. I am submitting to him i am yielded to him i am his i don't belong to me he bought me with a price and i'm letting him and cooperating with him for him to be able to do everything and anything he wants to do through me i don't get any credit for that luke seventeen ten says when you've done all that you've been commanded to do say we are unprofitable servants We've just done that which is our duty to do. So obedience doesn't earn us a thing. But disobedience will cost us everything. Because Revelation 21 and 8, if I'm not mistaken, says the disobedient are not going in, aren't going there. So by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of it yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Because all of the boasting or the glorying is to God. That word, uh, that you know, we're boasting about God. We're not boasting about ourselves. And here's our boasting about God. We are his workmanship. He created us in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. Which God has before ordained. Before the foundation of the world ordained. That we should walk in them. Wherefore remember. That ye being in time past Gentiles of the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time, before Christ, ye were with ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were some who sometimes were afar off. Are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Who hath made both one. Jew and Gentile. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The dividing line between us. Having abolished in his flesh. The enmity. Even the law of commandments. Contained in ordinance. For to make in himself of twain. One new man. So making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity by, thereby, and came and preached peace to you who which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. And he's not talking about distance here, but those that were close to God and those that were far from God, the same Christ, the same death, the same cross, the same blood, the same name, the same spirit has brought us all into being one in him. For through him we both Jew and Gentile have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore (laughs) I love that. Now therefore, or we would say therefore now, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. And of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple of the Lord. It's talking about the body of Christ is the, is the temple of God. And because we're part of the body of Christ, each one of our bodies is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So individually, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. But as members of the body, that collective body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And are, all, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We're the household of God. I'm going to read 19 again. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building, fitly or appropriately framed together, groweth unto an holy temple of the Lord, Kolod, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. There is no more temple on the earth. The church is the temple. And Christ's body, is the head of that temple because he's the head of that body. But all of us together are the habitation of God through the spirit. And you get all that because here we go. Oh, oh, oh. It gets gooder and gooder. <laughs> Ephesians chapter three, verse one for this cause, the cause of everything I just read to you in chapters one and two for this cause, I Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote a four in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul say all that I've talked to you about before uh, up to now in this, in this, uh, this epistle. You want to know how I knew all that? I received it from Christ by revelation, as he explained to me the mystery, the secret he uncovered to me that which had been covered, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit that the Gentiles for this Paul calls on this purpose, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. <laughs> oh, I'd love to go a while on that, but that's not where the flow is right now. So I'm going to read it one more time just for the pleasure of it, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That's you and I. That's you. He's talking about us. This is us. Right here. This is who we are in God. But listen to this. (laughs) Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, which is grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, the indescribable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of this six this revealed sick secret, this mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, the Logos made flesh, to the intent that now listen carefully now, that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made, might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. What? What? Did you hear what he just said? The angelic principalities and powers of God in heavenly places, they don't know this. And the only way they're getting this, the only way they're getting the understanding of the plan since Christ didn't die for them and they're not a part of the body. They're servants of God. They serve and worship him day and night. Do his bidding. That they might know by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is so intricate, so detailed. It's so amazingly complex from a human perspective, but so simple as God reveals it, just pulls the cover off. But it's the many faceted wisdom of God. The angels are getting to learn it through you and I. I didn't write it. It's what it says. According to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. In all of this, He throws in, I don't want you to feel bad because of what I'm going through. He wrote this from jail. I don't want you to feel bad for this. God put me here to write this for your benefit. Well, thank God, not just for the Ephesians benefit, but for the whole church's benefit. For the whole church, during the whole church, church age's benefit. If this didn't really mean near to them what it means to us. They lived 1900 years ago. We're living in the back last days when the Lord is beginning to fulfill all of this. And here it is. <laughs> For this cause, because of everything he just said, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of he- in heaven and in earth is named, that he would grant you, he would impart to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Paul said, though our outward man perish, Our inner man, inward man, is renewed day by day. So he said, I'm not praying to spare you from what you're going through or what's coming in these days. I'm praying that you would be strengthened with might by his spirit in their inner man so that you can not only endure those things, but prosper and thrive in them. Look at what he said. That he would grant you, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That for this cause, this is what that strengthening in your inner man is supposed to produce in you and I. And listen to all of this. Listen to this. That for this cause, Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Well, I've got Christ in me. No, no, we've received Christ. But is he at home in us? He's not at home in a life that's doing his own will. He's not at home in a life that's made fellowship with him into a religion of obligations, do's and don'ts. Because if I'm in a relationship with him, I will automatically do the do's and not do the don'ts. And if by chance on any particular moment of a day, I miss the mark, I will immediately confess my missing the mark, my sin. And he will immediately forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I'll get up and act like I'm forgiven instantly and continue on going with him in his plan and purpose according to his will and the counsel of his will. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Again, what is Christ? I didn't say who is Christ. I said what is Christ? He is the Logos made flesh. And Christ is the anointing, the anointed one. So that Logos made flesh is now anointed by the spirit of God. So Christ is the anointed word abiding in me. And if I'm not submitted to that word and by the grace of God living by that word, he's not at home in me. And that's what the word dwell means. Christ has taken up habitation in me. He's made his home in my heart, by faith that Christ may, that ye may be rooted and grounded in love, that Christ may We must put our roots way down deep in the love of God so nothing can move us and that we might our life might be founded upon the love of God so that nothing can shake us. Nothing can sway us no matter what comes our way rain or floods or wind nothing can shake us. That we may be able to comprehend or apprehend with all saints the word apprehend literally according to Strong's means to take eager, eagerly, to seize, to possess. It's katalambano. Lambano is the word for receive, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That means to take what is offered. So katalambano means to not just take what's offered, but to lunge for it, to grab it, to, to take it, to seize it, to apprehend it, to lay hold of it, is what Thayer says. That we may be able to apprehend, to seize with joy, with all saints, what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of his love. What is the breadth? Nothing can get so good on the right hand that it causes me to be full and forget God. Nothing can get so bad on the left hand that it causes me to curse God and reject him. Nothing so far behind me in length, behind and forward. Nothing in my past can shake me in the love of God. Nothing in my future can cause me fear so that I am not giving myself to God. Nothing, nothing. I can't go deep, so deep that I reach the bottom of the limit of God in his love down below and nothing is so high that I can't reach his love. Won't let me just keep on reaching in high high. So nothing good and nothing bad in the breadth and nothing in the length, whether in my past or in my future and nothing in the depth of me, no matter how deep his spirit goes and nothing in the height of him is so high. I can't reach it in his love and i want to have i want to take a hold of that don't you because he says it and to know and the greek word there means to know experientially the love of christ which passes or surpasses knowledge intellectual knowledge the experience of the love of christ is far superior than the intellectual knowledge of learning what the intellectually, what the word of God says. Why? For the purpose of, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So in chapter one, I get to be a part of the body, which is his fullness. But in chapter three, I get to have him and his love as my fullness, that I'm filled with all the fullness of God, not quantitatively but qualitatively there isn't any part of god characteristic of god attribute of god ability of god that i don't have access to access to if i'm in god and what is the result of that (laughs) now now we've gotten to the big now Verses 20 and 21 are based upon all that I've just talked about and far more than I was able to cover in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 up to verse, up through verse 19. Now, knowing all of that, the hope of his calling, the glory of his riches of his inheritance and in the saints, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him on the throne of heaven forever. Put him far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name of his name in this world and put all things under his feet, which is the feet of his body and made him the head of over all things to his church, which is his body and made his church, the fullness of him. Enabling him to fully be God in manifestation. He's always been love, But now he can demonstrate that love. Manifest that love. And all of that was have me having to be a part of the body. But now. <laughs> this is all having to do with what he is in me. And I can't have this in me if I'm not a part of the body. I can have the strength. I can be strengthened with might by his spirit in my inner man. That Christ the anointed word of God can abide, be at home in me, that I might be rooted and grounded in his love. And I might have the revelation, the comprehension of, of his breadth, his length, his depth, his height of, of his love. And that I might know experientially the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge so that I and you can be filled with all the fullness of God. So what, for what, for what purpose now, Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to his power that worketh is in us in us, or his power that is activated and operative through us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end amen and next week you've already been praying you've already been exercising his authority and power but let me tell you right now the arena which most of this exceeding abundantly above takes place is where is that which is exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think that's describing prayer And it's according to the power of God that is an authority of God that is working in and through us as we pray so that he can be glorified in the earth. And next week, we're, the body of Christ in the earth is going to be speaking some things that when they come out of our mouths, we're going to go, Oh God, I hope that's really you because that's beyond anything I could think to ask. Well, I'll tell you what i would love to do over the years, especially since he showed me this. I'll, I'll begin to talk to him about what I can think and ask. And then I'll say, okay. Now, that's what I can think and ask. Because he said to Abraham, every family on earth would receive the blessing of Abraham, which Galatians 3 and 14, as I've already taught, is the Gentiles receiving the promise of the Spirit through faith. Every family on earth is going to have someone in it receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And every nation on earth is going to have an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, Genesis 22. Okay, Father, I'm speaking that, I'm praying that, I'm confessing that. So what are you going to do exceeding abundantly above that? I can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. Why? Why? Not because I'm special. He's special. I'm not worthy to be a part of that. But his love and grace made me a part of it. His blood washed me from all my sins. His name was placed upon me. I received the family name in the waters of baptism. And I became a partaker of the divine nature when he baptized me with his own spirit. And then gave me the supernatural ability for him to be able to pray through me as I pray in the spirit. So I'll pray with my understanding and I'll pray with the spirit also. And as he gives me the words to pray in my, in my language, or he prays through me in his language, I'm going to pray those things that he will use to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think so that he can be glorified in the church by Christ Jesus in this age and in every age. Forever. That's what's happening now, you see. And what's happening now, in different forms, and different manners, forever. He's going to be showing his glory through the church. (laughs) There's more that I could talk about here, but I'm not going to. He's done. I'm stopping. I pray that those of you that love him and love his appearing <clears throat> that believe his word that are seeking those things above and not on the things on the earth so that you and I can be dead and our lives, hid with Christ and God so that everything he does to us, for us, with us, through us, that he alone will get the credit, the glory for it, the praise, the honor, and the thanksgiving for it. He alone. He's the only one worthy. Paul said, what do you have that you haven't received? And if you received it, you didn't earn it, you received it, it was given to you as a gift. How can you boast about it? I can't. Everything I, every good good thing in me, Everything he's ever given me, everything he's ever done through me that's good, it's all been him and he's the only one that can get the praise and the glory for it. I'm not trying to act umball when I, when I am uncomfortable with someone thanking me, uh, for teaching or doing whatever. I'm doing that for my soul's sake. I'm not trying to be rude not trying to be unappreciative. That's why I usually respond with thank you. Because when I'm saying thank you to the person that's thanking me, I'm passing that thanks right straight on through to him because I know me. I've spent enough time with him teaching me who, what I am myself and what I'm not myself so that when he does what he does and teaches what he teaches and, and accomplishes what he accomplishes and uses me as any kind of instrument to do that. I know who gets the credit. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I'm just thankful to be a conduit that he chooses to use. But I'm no he's no respecter of persons. And in this last day, there's going to be an army of believers that's going to go throughout the whole earth. And God is going to use us so mightily that none of us are going to look around and say, I'm greater than them because we're going to be so focused on what he's using us to do. We're not going to be measuring ourselves by ourselves and comparing ourselves among ourselves because we're going to be so busy giving him thanks and honor and praise and glory for what he's doing and the the thanks, the abundant thanks for just having the privilege of being used of him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, I loose the spirit of grace, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom upon you and I, that we might receive these things, not just in our understanding, but that we might embrace these things and take ownership of them for ourselves. And then we might give ourselves and those things back to God and say, here we are, whatever it is, Whatever it costs in this temporal dimension, do with us as you choose, as long as you are glorified in it. Tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, I will be doing the sixth and final lesson of this series. You don't want to miss it. I know that this has been very challenging for some of you with the length of these lessons trying to keep up because your life is very busy. But it's about to get busier if you do the will of God. And if you don't learn how to let him, by his grace, learn how to let him do it through you rather than you doing it for him, you're not going to survive that business. That's why he said, Matthew 11, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He's not talking about sinners there. It's talking about everybody that's trying to obey God and be saved because of their efforts to obey God and be saved. Come unto me, all ye that labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Get in this yoke with me and I will carry the load. All you've got to do is keep up. That's what the young oxen has to do in the yoke. It doesn't do equal work. It just stays up. Stays in step and lets the, the older oxen lead the way. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke. We get in the yoke with him and learn of me. So I'm in the yoke with him, not only so he can carry all the load. And I'm just, I get the privilege of just working with him as in his yoke, but I also get to learn about him. I get to learn that he is meek or gentle is the Greek word. And lowly at heart means he's humble. We think humble means you're down on yourself. No, humble means that you're acknowledging who is the source of all things, and that one gets the credit and the glory. And he is humble enough, and thank God for his humility, that he doesn't feel the need in insecurity to smash or fry or strike with lightning every human being that that rebuke that challenges him or rejects him. He is able to be long suffering because of his humility to give us opportunity, but even the long suffering of God eventually runs out and we're in those last days. We are there now. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy And my burden is light. He is our savior. He is our God. He is our source of strength. He is our ability. He is our direction. He is our empowerment. He is our grace, mercy, and peace. So that we can enter into his rest and let him do the works through us to his glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Receive it and give thanks to Him. In Jesus' name, amen.